SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 36 with guest Lubor Kolar. Our guest today is Lubor Kolar. Lubor is part of the SQL Server development group since the 6.5 release in 1986, 1996. As program manager, he was responsible for SQL Server's relational engine. He introduced failover clustering, query parallelism, and led the design of table and index partitioning in SQL Server 2005. After shipping SQL Server 2005, Lubor joined customer and partner group consisting from other uh, several customer and partner-facing teams. Lubor is currently managing the customer advisory team, the SQL CAT team, designing the largest and most demanding implementations of SQL Server around the world. Before joining Microsoft, Lubor was developing DB2 engines for various operating system platforms in IBM laboratories in Toronto and Santa Teresa for almost 10 years. Lubor loves outdoors, skiing, hiking, gardening, mountain biking, fishing, and mushrooming, to name his most beloved outside the work and home activities. He holds a professional ski instructor license, and during winter weekends, he's teaching skiing in a local ski resort near Redmond. Uh, since Lubor isn't a very frequent name, you can find your, use your uh, favorite search engine to find out more about Lubor, his white papers, books, blog contributions, articles, conference papers, patents, trips, and more. So welcome, Lubo. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Greg. <laughs> That's great. It's great to uh, be with you guys, and uh, so thanks for the introduction. Yes. And uh, the first thing, uh, how I end up working on SQL Server. Yeah. So this, hap- yeah, this happened in uh, 1996. Actually, it started in 1995. I was at that time development manager at IBM Canada, and... Uh, just shipped the first release of DB2. Now it's known as a triple E, the, the parallel uh, DB2 uh, Unix uh, parallel database server, mm-hmm. first parallel on, uh, on Unix there. And kind of I felt a little bit kind of, okay, I'm done. I'm, uh, it was a pretty um, challenging project. And, uh, and then I got this call from uh, Microsoft. I had some friends here. And they, okay, well, well, why you don't come over, look around, and so on. And um, uh, so then I did uh, in early uh, 96. It was uh, kind of spring. And uh, came here, did some interviews, talking to people. At that time, uh, especially at IBM, we were looking at Microsoft and database and Microsoft as a you know desktop kind of uh, uh, extension of Excel or something. Like yeah, that. not serious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, but um, I was talking to the people here, and then, oh, it looks serious, and I started to think about it a little bit. But I was I had a very good position at IBM. I had many friends there living in Toronto and so on. And so 
I went back and, okay, I was thinking about it, but uh, didn't make my decision yet. Then they called again, sometimes, and it was in April, I remember that, uh, invited me and then also my wife and my daughter, I had a little daughter, oh no, your son, yeah, in 1996, yeah, I was with his daughter. Mm. And uh, they invited all of us and uh, for like trip, uh, come here again. So we came and it was planned so that we spent also a weekend here. On Friday I was at uh, Microsoft again talking to more people, looking around, uh, poking, uh, do, do, talking to different groups, and uh, they kind of, my wife didn't go with me because it was boring for her. So Katarina went, uh, they took her somewhere, I don't know where. They, you know, she got <laughs> some company and they took her. And then we kind of met again in the evening, the afternoon, and she sounded very excited about uh, moving here, living here, and so on. <laughs> and so uh, we were half halfway there, yes. And then on Saturday, I remember, it was a nice sunny day. I took uh, the car and I drove to the near mountains here, to the Snoqualmie Pass. And, oh, man, what I saw. All these mountains, uh, ski lifts, uh, beautiful weather. I was gorgeous uh, spring skiing. And I saw it, and uh, compared to the flatlands around Toronto and freezing winter there, then I checked one more thing, uh, the rain. You know, everybody's talking about yeah, everybody the rain. Yeah, everybody says, yeah. And uh, so I checked it, and I found out, actually, to my surprise, then, uh, that the overall the amount of water which falls down in Seattle was less than in Toronto. Yeah. And why is that? Because, uh, you know, Toronto, we, have this, uh, we had this summer... Uh, storms, which dumps lots of water, while here in Seattle it's always this uh, kind of uh, not very strong rain, but unfortunately sometimes it takes several weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I, f- I, find in, I find in Seattle everybody always talks about it raining all the time, but I, I never find it quite like that. I find just this, so much of the time, like this mist or, <laughs> or sort of yeah, very, very yeah. light rain Yeah, that happens all yeah, the time. it comes from the ocean and uh, sits here. Uh, hits the mountains, uh, which I love so much, but not for that. But hits the mountains and and uh, sitting here. And uh, we have unfortunately also yesterday, day before yesterday, and today we have such day. Not today, it's not very wet, but yesterday yeah. was raining. Tomorrow forecast rain. Day after tomorrow again. So we have these stretches sometimes. Actually, what's what's interesting is that you, when you're describing the reasons for moving there uh, to the to the job, it's interesting that the the things that seem to have first prompted you was that Katerina was happy with the area and and you loved the area for things, but all things outside the job. Well, uh, um, it was also you know I kind of of course I uh, kind of uh, the things which. Other things helped me on the technical and on, on the work side. I was talking to some people here. Gertz Graf was one of the persons I knew. Uh, and then I also, uh, on the phone, I was talking with Jim Gray. And he knew me from IBM and I knew him. And that kind of persuaded me that, yes, there are serious things is happening here. Yeah. They are going to invest here. And, uh, and I saw the enthusiasm and uh, you know, talking to smart people. And uh, uh, it was like new, like young product, and that was very encouraging for me. So there was also that part of that. So then I said, "Okay, I'm coming," and uh, uh, that happened. So that's yeah. how I came to to 
tomorrow. Yeah. That's yeah. and just in a quick question though, the working environment um, in Microsoft compared to IBM, did you find major differences? Yes, I found, um, especially at the time when I came, was very different because the team was smaller. We had here uh, very technical management, so you know, look at talks to managers and their managers and so on, and everybody mm-hmm. kind of knew it was very technically deeply uh, involved. While at IBM, yep. we just we had this kind of a new wave. This they call it technical managers. They found out that. Professional managers without technical knowledge didn't cut it, um, and no. uh, people started to leave. So that was kind of very refreshing, and I, I really enjoyed it a lot here. So that was, um, oh, well, the, the Windows part was a little bit hard on me initially because I came from the Unix yeah. environment, and, uh, and you know, many people with Unix, Unix background or, or even now working, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, so that was a little bit uh, learning curve for me and kind of accommodating. I need to accommodate to that. So that was yeah. uh, that's um, uh, how I came. So then mm. I came first. Uh, was sometimes May, I think like May or May. In the uh, once I decided, it went pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. There was some a little bit kind of uh, trying to hold me that IBM. I got some offers and and things there. But um, once I decided, I didn't look back and. And went yeah. forward, so I moved first, then I went back uh, um, six weeks later to move my family and everything, and sold the house there, and came to Microsoft. Yeah, and um, interesting, yeah, the uh, features that you're involved in putting into SQL Server 2005 were very much uh, the enterprise and uh, reliability-related yeah. features. Yeah, so... Uh, I was in the, the, the job which I got offered here was the program manager in the in the relational engine. That's how I started here. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it, there is a kind of one of the big changes between now that is 12 years ago and now is that now we are much more enterprise kind of product. I remember when I started the sales of enterprise additional SQL Server were only several percent of of the sales, while now it's kind of uh, like, um, uh, I don't know if I can tell it or not, if it's mm. public information, So, but it's substantially, substantially more yeah. than it was, uh, we saw it was then. And uh, so we kind of made the product to be much more enterprise-ready and added many of these features. And, uh, and the first feature which I mentioned, one of the first was uh, the clustering failover yes. was extremely challenging because it was before the first release was before on 7.0 we didn't support multiple instances of SQL Server on one on one uh, on one uh, Windows Server. Yeah, so it, when it even, fell even over, on 7.0, yeah. So it, if it fell over in 7.0, then we had to do all kinds of uh, twists and turns to support those two. Uh, running side by side, and yeah. also that project came from from the research, so it was very um, fragile the first release. But then we got it all right and everything. And actually, I have still till today. I don't know if uh, the there was uh, the, um, uh, the the Windows uh, failover 
my original was called Wolfpack, the first release. Yep. Like, oh, hey, it's Wolfpack. And I still have a shirt, Wolfpack shirt, because one of the first uh, demos they did was Mystical Server for Bill Gates. So and I was working on the demo, and then I got this shirt, and I'm still searching it to today. <laughs> I got Wolfpack a Wolfpack and, shirt. That's great. Yeah, Wolfpack shirt, yeah. So <laughs> I have those. So that's that. And as I said, there's a relatively small team we were in the relation engine, so I had like many responsibilities, and uh, some of them, well, it was query processing, optimization, query execution, even as I say, this file over clustering. Um, so that's uh, um, that's uh, the was very yeah pretty broad area, and uh, we are a small team, but moving forward fast. Yeah. Actually, one one question I'd just to ask your opinion on. the One of the, the feelings I got as to one of the main reasons they moved to multiple instances uh, was also to deal with different collations. Um, one of the, the feelings I get, though, uh, the, fa- the fact that they've taken collations right to the column level, I'm, I almost wonder if that was sort of taking it almost too far. Do you... Do you have you ever seen anybody using different collations on different columns in a table? Yes, and not only that. I saw, uh, like, um, well, I don't know. I don't want to mix it up, but I see yeah. people using even, um, I saw customer database when they are using different languages within one document, so it's one, one row, one column, and they have their mixed, uh, I'm not sure if it's collation, but I know the mixed languages. Yeah, mixed languages I can see. The the thing that has has me intrigued, um, my feeling was that uh, collations were were one of the were the problems in 7 because if you needed databases with different collations, you had, you, you had to have separate servers because you couldn't have a separate instance and it was all done yeah. at the server level. Um, but when they got to 2000, we then had the ability to have multiple instances. That actually fixed yeah. 99% of the problems I had with collations. But the fact that they sort of took it down to the, the, the database and table and column level, um, you then started introducing all these things to do with collations with scripting and so on. And in fact, the irony is I've ended up seeing more issues with collations a bit because uh, because of the some of the pain around scripting where people would script a database on one server, move it to another, but then end up creating it with the wrong collations for that yeah, server. There are some, uh, yeah, there are some collation uh, challenges, mm. but I cannot, uh, uh, you know, uh, column-level collation, I know that people... Some people that are the, we have customers who are using it. Yeah, I, well, that's all I, I was I don't know if how many, yeah. but they do, and uh, and uh, it's amazing how you know we have quite a few of these kind of features which somebody can suspect. Oh, why and how and do they use it <laughs> at all? And then we because our customer base is so wide, yeah, so so deep, and people are very creative, and not only that, they are often using features in a way which we didn't we didn't anticipate at all. And mm. uh, I have a good example from 2008, what we just are learning, that here is this new feature we have. It's in analysis services. It's something similar to what we should be in 2005 was scalable shared databases, when you can yep. make databases only and attach relationships attached to... 
we should mention that for a second because uh, th- that's something that I find very, very few people are aware of at all is the scalable shared databases. So maybe if you just spend yeah. a moment describing that. Yeah, I will. Uh, sure, I, I, I'm happy to do that. And yeah. I have a bunch of stories around it. But what is it all about? That if you make the volume on which you have your SQL Server uh, uh, data, like the files, or volumes make read only, you can then, at the, and, and, and that volume is accessible through, from multiple servers. Typically, it's a, it's a SAN on SAN. Then you can uh, connect, uh, you can attach that read only volume with, uh, to multiple SQL Server instances and can be separate boxes. And actually, we did for, uh, for, for Walmart some testing showing them that they were doing some, some queries, doing some report decision supports, and we showed perfect scalab- linear scalability. It's throughput number of uh, queries processed. Mm. The only thing which you have to watch is the I.O., because it's going after the same I.O., yeah. but if you, if you have enough I.O. capacity, and uh, then you can uh, kind of attach it to multiple servers, and, and you are right. I'm still fishing for any customers who are really using this in production, <laughs> active, and if somebody is listening and does and shoots me a mail, lubork.msn.microsoft.com, yep. I will give him come some nice gift. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a challenge. Yeah, because, yeah I, I had some potential customers. and then, Now, but let, back to what I want, wanted to talk hmm. about is, so this was, uh, this was also requested from the analysis services and the cubes. You know, so yep. I have cubes, and I want, you know, multiple servers, uh, you know, connect to that cube and, and do reporting, for example, from that. Hmm. Now, it was not available in 2005 for cubes, but they... We, we uh, implemented it in, in 2008. So we have the ability to use the read-only read uh, cubes, and they can be then shared among multiple servers. Good, fine. Now, we went through the top programs, these kind of beta programs, and working with a bunch of customers. And it, so this was originally designed for scanning, scanning out the throughput. And talking to customers, looking around, we found out that a bunch of the customers are using it for something completely different. What they are using it for, detaching the, the, the cube and then copying it over and then attaching, so like kind of creating yep. multiple copies. Yes, by themselves, that, yep. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of all excited. Yeah, it works. Uh, you know, I don't need to go to backup restore. I can, you know, this kind of thing is great. Um, the one difference between the relational attach detach and the the, the analysis services is that in relational you can change the name of the database. In yeah. in uh, analysis services you cannot, but otherwise uh, it works well. So this is an example of of uh, I'm a little bit surprised. Yeah. So Lupo. You're now with the customer cat team, uh, the SQL cat team. A lot of people uh, may not have come across that, so maybe if you could describe what that team does and its role. Yeah, so this happened in, in, after we shipped 2005. I was kind of looking for new challenges, and I have this uh, uh, passion for working with customers and users and talking to people and a little bit traveling and, and seeing things. I, I like hands-on and, and things working. 
uh, all broken, and I fix it working. That's even more exciting. <laughs> and and uh, so when we ship 2005, and usually after shipping a product, there's a big move in this organization. People are looking for new opportunities. They hate those people who went, they were working last two years with, so they would work somebody else and or, or say fall in love with some something somewhere or some new technological technology pops up. So there, there is a movement. It's, it's, it's very healthy, actually, because it kind of brings kind of different knowledge skills around uh, the organization. So we do support it. So mm-hmm. I, I, Mark Souza came, well, and I made a deal that, hey, I will try for three months this customer advisory team. Customer mm-hmm. advisory team existed already like about five years. Yeah. And it grew to kind of by that time it had, I think, six or seven members. And, uh, and uh, so I would try for three months. Okay, so I went or start working for three months, but you know we were still early, like fresh ship release. So I was still more than half of time working on 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 that, following up, and and but I started to have this kind of feeling a touch, and I started liking it. And it was an exciting team, very very smart people, very deep technical knowledge, and I started liking it. And then. When I was about to kind of thinking, what should I do next? And then Mark came with the idea, well, we were, um, what about if you start leading the team? And uh, he assumed a little bit bigger role as well. And so we kind of, uh, we sat down and uh, I'm always afraid to become again a manager because I was manager several times in my life and it takes away lots of your technical funds. So I yes. think some conditions. <laughs> And you will not take it away all from me, and that's a deal still valid. So I, some person, I have to devote the management, and it's important, it's good. And uh, so I kind of took the job, and it's now about two years. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe more when I'm managing the team. So that's interesting too. I, I noticed that often when I talk to a number of uh, people who work in the product group. One of the things that they seem to yearn for is is a bit more of a customer facing role, and so have you found that that has sort of been something you were really wanting to have? Yes, I I had that urge. I had some exposures already before I was in the conferences, customers, but you know, product development often is like full time, full time uh, heads down, and and uh, so. But now my job is uh, to work more with customers. Yeah. So it's kind of I'm not doing it like like a side job uh, during my you know off time. It's my major um, uh, should be taking most of my time, and uh, luckily uh, it does. Yeah. So now what the cut team, uh, uh, customer advisory team is. Customer advisory team, uh, there's team of ten people at this moment, and we are um, uh, working with. Is most uh, uh, most advanced and most demanding customers. Yeah. So this is the tricky implementations of SQL Server, basically. Yes, and this is the uh, the largest, biggest, uh, most demanding. You know, these hundred plus terabyte things, yeah. uh, uh, tens of thousands of transactions per second. And uh, that's uh, the, the most challenging part. And, yeah. and yet we are, the team is part of the development team. So how it 
happening and what it works and what um, uh, we have, uh, what we are working on. So wh- when I when people ask me, oh, what are you doing? How you are doing? What is your team? I say, we have uh, three commitments. And I describe those commitments and then I hope everybody's clear on what we are doing. Mm. First is we need to work with these customers and, and, and make the project successful. And we not always succeed, but most most cases we do. And that's kind of the first thing, to help the customer. Then the second commitment is I must, um, from what I learn while working with these customers, I will bring it to the development group, and I feed it into our planning process, into our testing process, development, everywhere. I am the face of the customer here in this team, in the development team. And so, therefore, you know, we are paid by development dollars. So, we are interacting very actively with the development team, working on next releases, uh, showing how people are using the features, helping our test team to bring the customer scenarios or kind of at least describe the design so we test things which are really used. So this this is the value for the development team. Yeah. Is, um, the, I was going to say, do you also work on smaller projects that are high profile? Smaller projects with... With a really high profile, very visible. Yes, um, yes, but usually... Uh, those are big. <laughs> yeah. I can give examples. Uh, for example, uh, MySpace.com is running um, on SQL Server uh, all the all the production and everything yeah. is running on SQL Server. So that's you know uh, today somebody asked me, okay, we want to design something for two million customers. Will it work? I say, okay, well, I'll give you an example one system which runs for 250 million customers. Yeah. <laughs> that is not good enough for you. So this is uh, uh, so yes. Now, the, uh, the second, as I mentioned, was bringing things to have second commitment to the development team. And then there's a third parties. Third parties uh, uh, sharing the learnings with community. And we have many channels. We, have, uh, we are going to the conferences. We are doing decades, uh, <coughs> decades, internal conferences, external conferences. One of the major things is uh, SQL Pass. Last year, uh, my team got own truck. We have a very SQL cut truck, one truck uh, throughout the conference. So last year was the first time, so we tried it. So we took half of the truck, means we yeah. had uh, three days, two presentations every day. It was six. It was extremely popular. The biggest yeah. problem which we had was with, with fire marshal because too many people. Too many people in the room, uh, yes. Uh, I was, yes. Yes, that was the past summit in uh, Denver last year, and I Denver, remember yeah. I remember all of your team running around in the orange shirts. So, uh, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, we're very yes. obvious who was in the team, and, and they were, yeah, they were really, really well-received sessions. Yes, yeah, so therefore now in we have November, we'll be, uh, uh, Secret Pass, we'll be here in, in Seattle. Seattle, yep. And we will be, uh, we, we are preparing our full uh, 12 sessions from my team for that, which will be uh, SQL Server 2008, all the newest things which we are finding with our customers, what, how, what works, what doesn't work, what are the, the, the sweetest points, what are maybe challenging areas, where are the surprises. So this is how 
my team uh, I'm distinguishing for the rest of the, for example, organization or MVPs, or most of those other presentations are about the feature and um, things like that. I'm talking, and my team is talking about customer scenarios, and we have specific customers. And, you know, in Denver, we had, like, uh, the, the, the chief DBA from MySpace. I had a, uh, somebody from Europe whom we designed petabyte scale uh, server, and so we were, like, co-presenting with, uh, with the real customers who were able to answer real questions. And so this is a trademark of the customer advisory team that is around customers, scenarios, uh, real real life. So therefore, it's so popular. And we have also yeah. our our website, sqlcat.com. Yeah. So you're welcome to visit that site. And at sqlcat.com, uh, basically there are things like uh, papers that provide guidance and so on. And one of the things that I, I really like about that is that in many of the products, I find Microsoft does a great job of building the product, but but then not in the area of providing guidance on using it. Well, not only you saw it. There are now other teams and other products in Microsoft who are approaching us and, 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 and starting building cut teams of their own. Yeah. And, yeah, so we are working like with BizTalk, uh, SharePoint, Windows. So this, these guys, and we are working with them and we are showing what and how we are doing, how we are communicating with users, how we are succeeding on the projects and how we de- delivering that. So that's a, another exciting thing that we do. You, you, we have good recognition not only within the SQL Server team, but around Microsoft. People yeah. are recognizing us and the contribution. That's great. Actually, one question I had, too, is that I noted in Denver, I got the impression that not all of the guys were based in Redmond, either. Actually, almost from my team, from my 10 people, we are two in, only two of us in Redmond. Yeah. So we need to be close to the customers. So I have actually one team, international, uh, we call it sometimes ICAT team, international cut team, yep. the sub part of my team, and I have like two people in Asia, in Europe, and uh, we are also covering India from 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 US. So so, and the rest of the team is across the US. So we uh, are close to the, to the customers. So that's yeah, uh, one of the traits. Now I, I mostly see all the successes. You did briefly mention before you were saying there were some situations where you haven't been able to succeed. Was that a limitation of the product? Do you think at that point or? Unreasonable customer expectations of, or uh, you know, this, uh, some of this project right now. I for for me easiest to ask it. I'm thinking about a specific project. Yeah, and it was um, it was when the because we are working always with the customers through the local Microsoft team. Yeah, and uh, it's. Often very complex cooperation. It's uh, it's the local Microsoft team. Often there is some other MCS team, Microsoft Consulting Services. Yep. Sometimes even some consultant, uh, customers, and often uh, the customer is not direct to the customer, but the customer is providing service for some bank, for example. Yeah. yeah. And so this is very complex um, scenarios. And so what I have one specific um, case when I know that, well, the requirements were never 
fully understood and were never fully kind of through that long chain, as I mentioned here, it never got to us fully. We couldn't get even the answers now. So we were trying, 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 and then we were getting kind of the requirements only through rejecting one solution after another. This is not enough. This is not good because of that. Yeah. And, and never up front, only after we thought that we understood and we did not. So it's lots of you know, project management. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, some competitive uh, sales team does excellent job. And, oh, I have also customers who are customers who, who, who we lost, and now they are kind of knocking on our doors again. So it's very yeah. encouraging. Yes, and that's what you really like. And, and I know we lost that customer because we didn't have resource governor. Yeah. And now they learned, oh. And now you have the resource governor. governor. That's it. And they kind of came, oh, yeah, you know, this Teradata, every node costs so much, and we already are doing it as much as possible. You know, all these warehouses running on SQL Server, but you like the, 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 the large store. It's so much, so expensive, and all that stuff. So, oh, and now you have that cover, so let's talk again. So yeah. Yeah, this is a good, you know, good example. Actually, one thing with your team, now, deep technical skills are an obvious requirement, uh, but as soon as you start moving customer-facing, then I'm sort of wondering the other other skill set you'd think you'd need there is also a political uh, now yeah, so skill. Yes, a great question, and, and we need lots of that, that sort of skills. You need to be very se- sensitive. You need to kind of be able to uh, handle the customer. So actually, most of the uh, biggest portion of my team comes from former people that were in field or consultants. Yeah. So, so they were already experienced and they were proven good communicators and, and good handlers because also we are dealing with all levels of my, you know, from from CEOs down to the DBAs and developers yeah. through all the scale. So, and you have to talk differently to each of those people. So it's very important, and that's on the customer side, and then we are also facing the development team, yes, yeah? so we need to be kind of sensitive to, you know, what and understand how the development team works, so we don't accuse or don't, you know, some, sometimes some people have some unrealistic requirements, or, yeah. or we need to understand it how, how it turns, how, what all takes to implement some things, and we need to be sensitive on that, and yet we should be able to produce good arguments to kind of uh, uh, explain and, 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 and get the right features into, into the product. So that's yeah. also that. And, of course, every team member has to be willing to travel quite a lot. Yes, indeed. Even if we have it around the world, there's still, you know, at least local travel is very yeah. Um, so we, in general, 50% of time people are, are on the road. Yeah. I know, yes, I, I, I know it. I know that life only too well. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. Listen, that's probably a good point to take a break. And okay. when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the things that you're looking forward to in 2008 that will help do your job. Okay, great. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services, 
and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. Uh, so, Lubor, outside uh, SQL Server, what's, what, what is life outside SQL Server for you? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, what is life outside SQL Server for me? Okay, so, uh, as I mentioned, in, if, if you read it in my bio, I like it. Yes. So I'll give you one example of what's happening here. And um, I fish, well, some, I'm, well, I'm a good fisherman, so sometimes I catch more fish than I can eat. And uh, then I come, uh, and I have a colleague of mine, uh, uh, his name is Boris Parishnikov. Actually, he was a program manager for the resource governor. Yep. And a very nice guy. And his, so my hobby is fishing. His hobby is uh, baking bread. Yeah, he has PhD in physics and, and uh, he's really good. Uh, but he's kind of doing this special, specialty breads, uh, and, uh, very similar to what I was used to in Europe. Wow. For example, special Christmas breads and stuff. And, they like fish. He and uh, his wife and all his family and stuff. So I bring fish, and he brings bread. He makes bread. We <laughs> change, and, and yeah, and uh, everybody's happy, and, and his colleagues are looking at us. <laughs> yeah. I, I presume well. this is, is this fly fishing that you're doing, like in mountain streams? No, I'm actually a little bit lazy for the fly fishing, but yeah, I mm. should be doing fly fishing, but I'm kind of warm, and I sit, you know, and float. And that's my favorite technique. Yeah. And I can uh, at least, you know, then I have the other hand free for beer. <laughs> <laughs> but is, is your fishing sort of more a river and ocean or is it sort of mountain stream? No, no it's on a lake. It's close by like, a bunch of okay. lakes here and um, they are well stocked. And uh, I have a some, like, summer house on one of the lakes here close by. It's so close I can drive to work every day. Yeah. And there I... When it's good weather and uh, fishing season, I yeah. fish. And as I mentioned, I also ski. And I also like hiking, and it's great here. And actually, there's a website, sequelhike.com. It's my website from wow. two years ago. Yeah, I took, we took several of us. Uh, actually, also there was maybe some of you know, Itzik Ben-Gan. Oh, he's a colleague hikers. of mine, yes, indeed. Yeah, and... Um, and Dan Salka was with us. Dan, another colleague, yes, from Slovakia. Yeah, and there were some couple more people, and um, including Boris. Boris was with us, yeah, mm-hmm. my, my uh, the bread supplier. And we went here between two passes, so it's it's about 100 kilometers. And for we, had, we went for a, one, one week of a hike. And it's kind of out of touch with civilization. You have no roads, no nothing. It's, on, it's called Pacific Crest Trail. And uh-huh. if you go to com, you can see all the maps and everything, pictures. And That's excellent. So, so we have your life outside of work a little bit. Yes, yes you, you don't mind cold weather then. That's, <laughs> that's part of the deal. Well, uh, you know, summer weather, is, it wasn't cold at all. You will see on the pictures, <laughs> it was nice until 
the very last uh, phase when we had to go to some 5,000 feet, like 1,500 meters, and then it was end of August and started snowing there. So yeah. that's in the, in the, in, because of the elevation. But other than that, most of the hike was warm, and we were swimming in the lakes, even in the mountains. So. Uh, but you said you're a, you have a professional ski instructor license as well. So. Oh, that's the winter. That's winter. Yeah, that, that comes in the with summer. cold weather. <laughs> yeah, that, well, um, compared to the east coast of the states, here the, the weather is very mild, actually, mm. on the, especially on the on this west side of the mountains, because it's from from the ocean. So we have barely some some sub zeros down here. In the mountains, is a little bit better. So therefore, there is the snow. And actually, this year we had like 600 inches, whatever is like 13 meters or something of snowfall through the winter because all the moist air which comes and hits the, the hills, then it kind of dumps there in the form of snow. Yeah. So we had very good snow conditions. That's great. Actually, in the, in, it was interesting. Uh, it's just coming into colder weather here, but uh, uh, last time I saw you, actually, we had just come out of the middle of summer, and, uh, of course, we'd gone across and uh, we were in Lolandia <laughs> with the... Uh, so uh, we should say hi to Annette and Mons and all from the SQL Open World uh, event they have in Lalandia in Copenhagen. And uh, uh, for those that haven't ever seen or attended that, it's uh, the most interesting SQL Server event because it's held in a water park in Copenhagen. Or, oh, sorry, on the well, coast. It's about an hour, hour and a half hour, drive from Copenhagen. Yeah, I shouldn't say in Copenhagen. That's right. It's quite a quite a distance from it. Um, and it's a water park, and it was pretty cold weather, but, I mean, it was great inside the building, and everybody lives in little huts, and we had a hut where uh, Lubora and Katerina and my wife May and I and Fernando Guerrero had, so we had about five people in the hut. And, uh, yeah, and you just have an interesting little conference. So, yeah, it was good fun. But, uh, yeah, certainly it was interestingly cold weather compared to... Uh, to when we left home, <laughs> which was... Yes, yeah, that was pretty, yeah, and it, uh, that, uh, it is there, I was there like two years in a row, and it was, was, I think, better the year before, but not much, because it's close <laughs> to the, the North, North Sea, whatever the sea yeah, there around it's, Denmark, it's and cold the sea there. makes it colder, uh, <laughs> colder. That's great. Listen, the what, last one thing I want to ask you about there is you mentioned mushrooming, and that's one that hasn't ever come up on the show before. <laughs> So mushrooming, uh, uh, it's from my background. I was growing up in Czechoslovakia, and I had a neighbor there uh, who was a big mushroomer, and uh, he was loved to pick mushrooms, or hand mushrooms, some people say. And uh, he, he uh, was an age of my parents, but he didn't have any children, so he was taking me with him, and he taught me uh, to recognize several kinds of mushrooms, and um, I really like it. I, I like to uh, go through the woods. I like even on a bike or walking or whatnot. And here in Northwest, we have great opportunities and all kinds of mushrooms. And, oh, I love it. I like, like, chanterelles. I bring mm. fresh chanterelles um, and make egg omelette with those fresh. Oh, man, that, that's, that's really that's, good. I must admit, so I like also eating them. I'd be a bit Pardon scared me? of picking the wrong ones because uh, they sound like you can yeah, also do so yourself a lot of harm. To be, <laughs> yeah, you, you have to be a little bit careful, but so of course I don't pick randomly. I pick only those which I know. Yeah. And we have here uh, like a club uh, next to like a uh, 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 
horticulture. Yep. Horticultural uh, branch of the local university, and they have there is a meetings every month, and in the summer they have or uh, the late um, uh, fall, the late fall they have like big show, mushroom show, and you can. You can also learn there, and you can also bring your species, and they will help you to identify those. Wow. So there is, and, and it's quite a, I was surprised, quite popular. It's maybe also there are many people from Eastern Europe and Nordic countries, especially Eastern Europe. You know, you may meet many yeah. Russians and Slovaks and Czechs and Polish and, uh, you know, that, also Italians. So that's a very popular. That's um, correct. Uh, yeah. Well, listen. I have some uh, secret secret spot for mushrooms. Very close <laughs> to work, and man, I can in the in the fall I can bring a lot in a very short time. That's fun. That's great. Listen, with SQL Server 2008 coming, uh, there clearly are some features in that uh, that'll help in the work that you're doing. Um, in fact, one of the things that I'm a bit intrigued about is that a lot of the new features seem to be enterprise-related features. Okay, I can tell you a little bit to that because my like development background, uh, frankly, we developers, we never like to deal with it too much. You know, what is going where? It's marketing which kind of deciding which feature goes where. And yeah. you are completely right. Now, most of the specialization engine features uh, new features like, uh, like for example, uh, one of the most popular in 2008, which I'm talking a little more about, is uh, the, the compression. It's uh, enterprise only. Yeah. Well, it is kind of getting us on par with with uh, with, uh, with other enterprises, with other uh, competition, and so on. And frankly, um, I don't know uh, what, what is kind of happening because. Uh, it seems to me also that we have we are giving huge break to the customers by, you know, by the licensing on per socket rather than per core. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so this is kind of a little bit uh, you know fighting back. <laughs> and uh, so this is so where we want to show like yeah there is a value we are paying. I don't don't know about the prices too much. I know I know it's about. Five times more, or whatever, for the enterprise license. It depends what kind of you know, all bunch of licensing models mm. there are, and I don't only think that it's very complex, and you have to have PhD to understand the oh, for license how, how yes. that works. Yes, uh, but you know, if I look at a simple schema where it's per, per per processor, I know that it's about five times more expensive, and we have to show the customers the value which they are getting for the for those money. Yes, yeah? so therefore, from yeah, it's from the point of the customers who are riding the, the standard edition wave, it's kind of, oh, yeah, why well, everything is almost everything what I wanted. And that. But from enterprise customer point, yeah, good, I'm getting my value. So it's kind of, yeah. it's not easy to, to answer, and, and I, I might have answered it simply. It's yeah. out of scope of my, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I Actually, why I cannot... One question I do have with the CAT team: Are you predominantly working with the current shipping product, or are you also working with like TAP customers or early adopters or people like that? Um, we are working. My team is working with both, but now we emphasize more and more this 2008 and and, and, and the top customers. Yep. And um, and uh, we are actually now working already 
or several projects uh, which are non-tap customers, but which will go into production after we ship, so yep. after RTM. Yep. Which is, you know, end of July or whatever. I don't know if it's official or not. But yeah. So, uh, we, yeah, we have still some kind of leftovers. It's 2005 and whatnot, but uh, we, in my team, it's almost making a condition because to go back to development team and giving feedback on SQL Server 2005, it's not very, you know, doesn't cut it. The yeah. developers, they are already working on next release, yeah, so yeah. Uh, they want to hear about 2008. Maybe to the community, and we do make some exceptions when we kind of do some presentation or something when we, you know, you know we have some parts of the world which are not so pushy forward on the new technology, yeah. and there we kind of... Uh, uh, cave into the local marketing team's help and, and stuff like that. So there we uh, may do exception, but uh, we don't like do, doing that. Yeah. And well, luckily, if, if you're working at the early stages in significant uh, installations and uh, and projects, that also means that you have really good feedback to provide by the time people are using it as the release product anyway. Yes, exactly. So this is where we are now. My team is pushing very hard to have already some contents. And we, if you go to secretcard.com, you will see there is a bunch of contents, which is about secret 2008. So this is how we want to help the customers to adopt it, to kind of take advantage of the, of the newest features, avoid some kind of surprises or, you know, very costly mistakes by, okay, don't do this. We even tell that people don't do this, or this is the wrong way to approach it, or yeah. this is we should be using this workaround. So that's how we are trying to help uh, the early adoption of of the new release. So, do you think resource governor is probably the the key? Yeah, resource governance is is very popular, but uh, you know you need to kind of do some work to do get, get the rest of this covered. It is very popular, as I mentioned. I have uh, one one customer who have headquarters not very far from from us, actually here in Seattle, and then we may be working with them on to going back to SQL Server. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think there is one feature which is even more popular because it's kind of easier to adopt and, and, and even more it's, it's easier to show the value right away. And that's what management and CEOs and CIOs laugh. Mm. And that is uh, that is uh, compression. Yeah. Because what's beautiful about the compression is it's it's application transparent. Yeah. So it compress you know, your administrator compress your database. You don't even know that. Yeah. And uh, and except so, hopefully it runs faster and takes less space. So this is. You know, okay, so we all knew, even before it started, it will run faster. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. We didn't know that. We knew that it will be uh, be less space. Yes, this, mm. we knew that. But that it runs faster, and in some some cases, amazingly much faster. Yeah. That was even for me, I, I was expecting maybe, you know, half and half or something, you know, like. But that kind of shows that, uh, so the the... What, what is in the, in the play there? The play is 
IOS, memory, and CPU. And basically, you are saving on IOS, you are saving on memory because the pages, pages are sitting compressed, and you are paying CPU. And yeah. so it, it, by, by kind of going, and we tested it with many, many customers. As, as early as last November, we had already customers here in Redmond testing it, uh, and I yeah, was working already on CTP5, and, um, and st- started seeing this, that, oh, oh, this is this, the performance is improving. Well, now I kind of have uh, explanation, because also the memory less IOS, and unless you are CPU bound already now, or close to somewhere, you know, 50-60%, what most people are not. In fact, I I, I must admit, it does not surprise me at all. In fact, I was expecting performance gains. And and that's because I suppose the main thing is that in the work I do, I find that very, very few systems are CPU-bound, and that tends to be only the ones that are constantly recompiling or something like that. Pretty much all the rest seem to be disk-bound and or memory-constrained, and... And the disk bound seems to be the the major thing. So you think anything that reduces the amount of disk I/O uh, has has a huge potential to have a, a big improvement in the in the performance. And then I started thinking, well, also it means that a lot more rows fit in memory as well, so it it helps memory wise. So yeah, no, it, it does not surprise me in the slightest that it's uh, quite a bit faster. Okay, now that's good then. So this is and and now if you tell your uh, Boss, okay, you know, we are, I know next year we are planning to double the size of the database and we are planning to buy, you know, another terabyte of the SAM, which is, oh, in hundreds, often in hundreds of thousands of dollars, and say, well, if I have, if I compress it, I don't need that. Yeah. They will be happy, for sure. So this is, it's easy to show the value. Are you looking at any way of, compressing the existing data? Because the impression I get is that the compression seems to happen when you're doing inserts. It then looks when it doesn't fit on a page and it looks to see if it can do something with it, but that doesn't tend to affect the data that's already there. So no, you, can, uh, you can, you can, uh, you can. Uh, the, the safest way, yeah, the inserts are tricky, you know, I, we can talk a little bit about that, but uh, the safest way is to rebuild an index. Cluster index. Okay. Yep. You rebuild the cluster index, bingo, and, and it's it's compressed. Now, there is a little bit trickery how to reclaim the space, you know, and that stuff. And we are still working on it on like best practices and, and how to work that. But if you for example we have a table cluster index, you move you the, the the one safe and easy way to reclaim the space is to create it in a different file group. Yes. Yep. And then yeah, then, then then you are clear and clean, fine. Um and so you can do that. You can uh, you can do it online. Yes. Yep. And enterprise edition. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they're all enterprise. Well, the compression, the whole compression is only enterprise. It's enterprise anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and you can do it on one partition of a table. Yes. Yep. But you cannot do it online on one partition of a table. Sorry yep. about that. We didn't get that. We don't have an index rebuilt at all. And this is special kind of. This is, this is uh, uh, compressed, compressed index. So we don't have that on, on 
It is super important, though, because I must admit, in 2005, one of the main reasons I encourage customers to go to Enterprise Edition has been the ability to do index operations online, because most of them at the bigger end simply don't have a time window when they can do anything. Yes. Yeah, this is very... Yeah, we, actually, this is one of the, you know, uh, major uh, kind of high availability requirements. High availability means not only that, you know, uh, if I fail and it comes back fast, but even more importantly that doing my daily tasks, when I'm loading data, when I am uh, maintaining the data, uh, yeah, I, you, you know, I have customer in Europe. Actually, I have been, I can even name him, bwin.com, telling online betting. Mm. And they generally built index since for the, since uh, uh, 2000, uh, when it was, summer 2006, and then a huge table, cluster index, they say, oh, we only, uh, we, they only defragment, because you can defragment online. Yeah. And, and they told me, well, we have even those kind of, they say, you know, when, the problem is when you are rebuilding online, even if you are rebuilding online index, we take an exclusive lock for a very brief moment at the beginning, what means I have to wait until everybody gets out of my table and and everybody who is coming after I, I issue that, you know, I want that uh, lock is waiting in a line, kind of, yep. and then I take it and then I change it and then I, I it's a very short, brief moment, but it's a little bit, it is disruptive because, because, you know, I, for a while, I, for a moment as if I drain the Workload, yes, and uh, they say, "Oh, we cannot. We don't want. It might be disruptive. We don't want that. So we are only reorganizing." But still, for most of the customers, uh, the online reorg is excellent feature. But unfortunately, I, I don't think we we kind of stress this enough. Okay, yeah, there is a brief moment at the beginning. Yeah, I, I think also at the end when we are kind of changing the state of the index. Yeah, when we need to have make sure that everybody who is now working on that, touching that index, is kind of aware and is in that new state. Yep. And uh, therefore, it's a little bit disruptive. Uh, it's, I think, but much more bigger problem is that, you know, I think problem, well, we need to do it sometimes uh, soon, that work, you know, doing it on, on partition, online uh, index, but then people are, oh, yeah, I can do it so fast switching out and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. But uh, the online uh, for partition uh, is no requirement. Yeah. But otherwise, as I say, my favorite feature so far in 2008 is, is uh, compression. Mm-hmm. Now, we need, to, we need to, I would like to make a little bit kind of education because people are getting confused because we are shipping in 2008 three different compressions. One is, uh, two of them are data compression, and one is a backup compression. Let's do that way, start. Backup compression is, you, when you are creating a backup, you say you can have, you can actually compress the backup. That makes the backups much smaller. Yes. And then they will save place and yeah. time when people are moving things around and so on, that can be very significant. Now, data compression is compressing the real Database, the data that, and there we have two kinds of. We have 
edge compression and we have row compression. And unfortunately, so far, we I don't think we did a very good job in, uh, in explaining when to use which. So we are still working on that. Well, imagine that we, we didn't ship you the product, and we are yeah. already talking about some kind of experiences. So we have some kind of rough guidelines. You know, if you are doing scans, the page compression is better. A row uh, is better for index six, maybe. Yeah. But overall, what I'm finding, uh, start with page compression. Page compression is giving more. Uh, it compresses more. Yeah. And only if you see that you start to have problems with, with your like CPU, then maybe you should investigate uh, uh, row compression. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so this is so these are the three compressions which are new in 2008. Actually, what I should get you to do, uh, I've sat and watched lots of videos of this, but maybe if you just spend a few moments describing the difference in the row and the page compression. So the difference uh, between row and page compression is uh, 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 page does more than a row. So row compresses uh, data by looking at one row. So what is, for example, missing the row compression is if, if I have uh, some common prefix across my um, across my rows, especially if you are repeating the same data in many rows, and it ends up on one page. Then we build kind of dictionary inside the page, and we store the value only once, and and uh, kind of have pointers from all the rows which would be using that value. So this is kind of what the page compression has more. But the disadvantage now is that if I want to access the rows of a page, I have to, if, if I want to access only a single row of a page, I usually have to do much more work than if I'm doing only the row compression, because row compression, the rows are kind of isolated in their compression, so I still go to the row, decompress the row. If I have, if I have page compression, I have to decompress the whole page to get to the individual rows. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm kind of paying more, more, kind of more price. But, um, uh, you know this 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 and 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 we are not well not holding the uh, decompressed pages in buffer pool because some of the buffer pools are 8k yes and the yeah. decompress is bigger than that so we but we we, we hold the, the compressed page so if I then need to scan the same page again I, I decompress it again if I am going for the row again I need to decompress it again yeah. but um, uh, you know, so for especially higher, like non-leaf, um, non-leaf pages of indexes that access, you know, the same page many, many, many times when I'm working with the index. So root pages, for example, access for every single row access. I can have a million pages, but the root page will be, and I'm accessing a thousand rows, so I will be a thousand times hitting the root page. So those pages we do, do, do not compress. And it's, 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 it's perfectly fine because um, typically the non-leaf pages of an index are only like 1-2% yeah. of the overall number of pages. In fact, that's that's a really interesting point. I, I often see people where they have pictures of an index structure and they imagine this really great depth, but the reality is whenever I've looked at an index, you don't seem to see much depth at all. No, 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 because you have very great fan out. You know, you have uh, 
the, the you know one page can fan out to many many pages below, and that's uh, that's the advantage of that. So. Yeah. No, it's it's it surprised me. I, I had a feeling it'd be shallow, but when I started looking, it's always surprised and me. You should also remember that the, the non-leaf non-leaf pages are only the keys, so yeah. it, the the length of the key has lots of lots of to do with the depth of the tree, mm. and. Uh, Usually, you know, it's an integer or, you know, not very, you know, to have very long keys, not very good practice. Yeah. But what, so the, what actually was nice in 2005 was people were endlessly in earlier versions adding additional columns to the key just to get covering indexes. But in 2005, the ability to include columns only at the leaf level made a significant difference to excellent. that. Excellent. Yes. 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 That, that, that's, that's very, very great point, and and it's so easy to spot it. And we had customer here in the lab not so long time ago, and they can this report that 19 minutes takes this, all oh, quite complicated and whatnot. And Uber do would look at that, and I look at it and look at the plan, and I, I see when you are doing kind of like uh, uh, read lookup or, yeah. or 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 key lookup, and then it's oh On I know is, <laughs> hey, we have we are doing here some lookups, and I say. Oh, you can do, and and these guys they were not aware of the include uh, thing yeah. from new, new 2005. We changed it, and 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 the results are amazing. You know, this is yeah. kind of you you go like from 19 minutes to to like some 45 seconds. The yeah. report was, <laughs> and it. I was asking, well, I did a couple more things, uh, something with table valid functions and so on. But yeah. but uh, all, overall, that that's uh, the include include is good. Include yeah. is, is very very good. No, in term, and in fact, the the thing I found the yeah, include has been a really good thing in the toolkit now, and that has helped keep the indexes very shallow. And it, it's an interesting question in terms of uh, I see a lot of people terribly worried, as I said, about the number of hops down an in, index when you're going through it. But the thing I find is it really is kind of shallow, and those pages above, I presume, just spend most of their time sitting in memory all the time. Yeah, yeah, they, they, you are definitely right, and that's a function of the frequent access and and uh, function of of the of the, the size, the small size. So that kind of both these things help to keep those pages. So and and you know to, to traverse through the page, it's 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 in no time. So that's uh, uh, you know normally pages are good. Uh, yeah. well, of course, you don't have many of them. So, is there anything else in? 2008 that you think is going to make a really big difference to the customers you work with? Uh, one kind of it's a, a general thing is that we see uh, amazing stability and like robustness of of uh, the server. Uh, we had customers here already like in November and they were totally shocked. They put a very demanding application on CTP5 and, and it was working like a charm. Even they gave us several percent of of, uh, of uh, throughput increase and it was like CTP, I don't know, four or five, yeah. like very, very early. So, and and actually we had quite a kind of uh, lots of exercises here because uh, some development managers started to be kind of afraid of maybe there is not enough Testing or not, something going on in why compared to previous releases, 
we are so low on the number of these problems which we see in our bills. And um, the explanation is that we have this new process as to which it goes. We kind of split um, our, we don't have, in 2005 we had one main build where all the teams yeah. are putting things in a build and it's cooking like in one big pot. And now we have, we split it into multiple smaller pots on outside yeah. and you cook it there and uh, you make sure that it tastes well before you then kind of pour it into the big pot. And this kind of two levels, uh, and, uh, the, all the testing and everything, um, uh, brings the quality of the working, uh, as we are working together, that also will, uh, I strongly believe, uh, end up in surprisingly good quality on, on our yeah. side. So, the, the, so no more need to wait for... Yeah, we, we did. FP, whatever. <laughs> yeah, a couple, a couple of shows back, I did talk to David Campbell about this process. And the, the one alternate bit of feedback I'd provide on that is that the, the problem I see with it at the moment and the real challenge going forward is that what we're now finding is that we only see the features once they're pretty much baked. And when you then try and provide feedback, Often I end up now hearing that's a really good idea, but it's too late. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is uh, this is true that we, but we have uh, you know uh, uh, for internally we are trying to do uh, the some testing discussion also on this kind of what we call pri- like private branches, which is this individual teams have yep. to get around exactly the problem which you are mentioning the late feedback and then it's enough. Mm-hmm. Not enough time, and of course, also we, we, you are doing this kind of relatively short release here. This is, yeah. you know, now we have two and a half years or whatever. You know, when, when we wish in November, uh, when when it was, yes, November two thousand five, and um, we will be so uh, six, seven, eight. Yes, yeah, so it's two. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, two years and something, it's half yeah. of what was, uh, is five. So it's, it's, it's all that, that the kind of feedback is late. On the other hand, um, it gives time, well, and we try still to take as much as we can and be sensitive. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if there's these short releases, you have a bigger chance to have it next series, which is, Will be maybe five years from the previous release, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Actually, the that. <laughs> where where are the ones that concern me more are where there are API related things. So, for oh. example, even minor things like I talked to, I put a uh, a connect item up a little while ago about okay. uh, say the new resource governor. Uh, there's a there's a a, uh, a DMV that returns the resource governor configuration. And as an example there, if you don't have a resource, uh, if you don't have a classifier function, um, it returns zero rather than a null. And I went back to the guy responsible and he came back and said, yeah, actually that would have been a lot better. He said, we didn't even really think about it, but it was, there was an internal table value of zero and that's what we surfaced. And I said, and he said, yeah, but it's kind of too late to change that because it then gets used in other places. And you think that that's the yeah. This is this is a pity. This is a good example of when when uh, when it will be almost impossible to change it in the future because there's yes. build dependencies on that. So okay, so this kind of feedbacks, yes. Yeah. So I don't know. We, this is this is very 
good information, we can, uh, you know, I will try to uh, find uh, some way to respond to it and, and yeah. address it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the creative thing that's needed. Is there's, I think there's a couple of points. One is the early point where some of the fundamental design of some of the features just, it is a real challenge to give a large number of people access to a, a large number of builds to, to sort of show what you're talking about. Um, but then, yeah, as I said, the ones that really concern me are more the API purity things. Um, because as you say, they're so hard to change down the track, um, where other things can get changed. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a good one. Mark Sousa's role in this now, where, uh, where does Mark now fit? Because you said he tended to head up the team before? Yes, and it's still kind of heading and, and, uh, so what happened, um, my, this customer advisory team and Mark got a bigger role. So I have, uh, two, two peer teams and one is, uh, uh, ISV team, uh, or we call it something cut ISV. And, you know, as I'm working with end customers as a product, this cut ISV team is working with, uh, most important ISVs of SQL Server, both internal and external, and also doing some, on some vertical ISVs. And they are kind of working on adoption of a new release, also bringing the feedback to the team, working with end customers. So there is lots of similarity. So therefore, the whole Mark's team we call customer and partner team. Yes, and okay. then there is this branch. And this is the, so we have uh, ISV team, cut our customer advisory for ISVs. We have this uh, uh, customer advisory team, which I'm heading. And then um, it turned out that... Uh, you know, I work with customer, and I, for example, find out, oh, this is a good way to load terabyte data very fast. Yes, and I did this customer, good. And you you can add lots of value to this information if you do some a little more testing, round up the scenario, and suddenly it may be applicable, you know, not to 10 customers, but to tens of thousands of customers. But... That is kind of a little bit out of scope of my work because I'm working with customer and I want to work with next customer, next customer. <laughs> so we have this, we created this team which we call best practices team. And yeah. this best practices team, that kind of takes these learnings or they discover their own and they are doing a whole bunch of testing, investigations and, and writing great white papers and top ten lists and, and blogs and whatnot. And they are kind of rounding it up and they are helping my team. So they're kind of taking part of the work, which is kind of this, this, this community facing work, uh, of, of, of the shoulder of my team. So I can more concentrate on working with more and more customers. Uh, and, and they can kind of take some of that and they have, I have the specialists for, uh, you know, writing much better than I write and then most of my people. And, uh, so that's not only writing, but they're also technically very capable as well. And mm. they are producing lots of their information. So this is a, this is my, uh, on the other side of the peer team. And that team, besides doing this, also, uh, we are bringing customers to our labs. And so this team, um, has a kind of part of that team is responsible for running those, those labs. And also the kind of using for developing those practices, also running the labs. When I bring in customer with their data and whatnot, this team is helping me uh, kind of uh, conduct the, it goes through the lab. It's usually one week exercise bringing in customer, but 
preparation takes usually months or even more, okay. and bringing all the data and load it and prepare all the hardware, especially if somebody has very challenging client configuration with, you know, hundreds of clients and so on. So we need to prepare it so we can uh, perform the testing there. So that's the certain. So therefore, Mark is now kind of having these three teams. Plus, as I mentioned before, he's doing lots of this effort in, in kind of spreading the cut uh, effort across Microsoft. So that's where Mark lives and that's great. today. But he's well, helping listen, us that, a lot still. That actually brings us to time, and I suppose that actually wraps up nicely because the, the next question is when will we see you in, in different places uh, in the upcoming months? So uh, you will see me. Yes, you will see me. I'm uh, planning to come to Australia for the Tech Ed, which is September 2nd to September 5th. I don't have my uh, schedule yet. I don't know if I will go to New Zealand or not, but that's my nearest plan. Then uh, in September, in October, I will be in Europe, in, in, in Prague, and um, and uh, that's most, most probably in, in between now and then, they, I will have to do some more travel, uh, but I'm now to, and, and of course at the past conference in November in Seattle, you will see me again. So these uh, are the nearest uh, public uh, showing of Lubo. Outstanding. Awesome. Thank you so very much for your time today, Lubo. Yes, I very appreciate the opportunity to talk to and I wish good luck of everybody and go ahead, uh, download... Uh, SQL Server 2008, uh, RC0 is pretty soon, I think next week or something. Yes, yeah. imminent, I think is the word they use. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's imminent. And uh, <laughs> and uh, give us as much feedback as possible. Uh, visit SQLCard.com uh, and, uh, you know, I always, uh, when I feel down, it's not very frequently, I can look at SQLHike.com and there is this uh, happy people show <laughs> and we will see all kinds of smiles of some people maybe right. know. Indeed. Thank you for that and say hi to Katerina. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I sure will. Thank you.